Welcome to the politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. My name is Kieran Pedley. We are back. Now, on this week's show, we're going to be discussing the so-called Irish question. Northern Ireland seems to be at the top of everybody's minds at the moment. Theresa May thought she had a deal this week to move on to phase two of the Brexit negotiations, only for the DUP and their characteristic style to say no. For Arlene Foster and the, her party, the wording over regulatory alignment was not good enough and therefore we have to wait a little bit longer. But what do the DUP want from Brexit negotiations? Where will the negotiations go from here? And could there realistically be a prospect of a united Ireland in the European Union in the future? There is a poll out today that suggests that might be the case. But is that true? I'm going to be discussing all of these issues on this week's show with Mick Fealty of Slugger O'Toole. But before I get there, I just wanted to talk a little bit about a controversial poll that has been doing the rounds this week from Servation. Servation, you will remember, were one of the pollsters that came out smelling of roses after the general election, correctly predicting a hung parliament with their final poll that showed, I believe, the Conservatives two points ahead of Labour. Much consternation from Andrew Neil and the gang when that poll was published, but Damien Lyons Lowe and the team were proven correct. They weren't the only ones, I should say, in, in, in the interest of full disclosure. YouGov's um, election prediction model um, on a seat-by-seat -seat basis was very impressive too. And for those of you that are interested in more information about that, do check out our sort of post-election podcast where we talk to the guys that put that to Ben Launderdale and the guys that put that together for more information if you're interested. But there's a lot of consternation about this Servation poll because it puts Labour eight points ahead, 45 for Labour, 37 for the Tories. And that's very different to a lot of other polls um, at the moment, most of which seem to be suggesting that Labour are maybe one or two points ahead. If that, um, some have a dead rubber, some have the Conservatives ahead. So what is what is going on? I looked at the data tables uh, for Servation's poll versus ICM which are one of the pollsters that have the race um, very close. They had a one-point lead um, for the, uh, in the Sun on Sunday at the weekend. And I was trying to understand what the differences were in how the polls were done to see which one we might think is uh, more accurate. And to be honest with you, I mean, there's two reasons why I don't think you can really make a huge judgment call here. I mean, the first are is that there isn't any obvious reason in the methodology or the weighting or how the questions were wording that would create such a big difference between an eight-point lead with Servation for Labour and a one-point lead um, with ICM. The one big thing that does seem to stand out is the Labour vote in the Servation poll um, seems to be much more robust, shall we say, than, uh, than in the ICM poll. So, for example, in the Servation poll, only 4% of uh, the Labour vote from 2017 says they are undecided how they would vote in a, an election next time, compared to 11% of the Conservative vote. And that's quite important because typically um, don't knows are excluded from opinion polls. And therefore, you know, you can have a situation where a party is maybe artificially deflated um, on the basis of having lots of don't knows that will end up voting for them in practice in the end. Now, I should say that Servation do reallocate some of their don't knows back into the pot, so that can't be the whole explanation of what's going on. But it is a notable difference uh, from the ICM poll, for example, which has uh, don't knows more even, so 10% of the Labour vote from 2017 say they don't know, versus 12% of the Conservative vote. But the second reason we can't really be sure what's going on is because at the end of the day, um, we don't know when the election is going to be, as I always say. We don't know who the Conservative leader is going to be. And to be honest, the dynamics of a campaign um, would be very, very 
very, very important there. So really when we're looking at these numbers, um, you take your you take your picks, you take your chances. Um, for me, I would be more inclined to think that the salvation numbers are around where public opinion is, but that's that's just because I've seen how badly the Conservative government have been doing lately, and you know you'd expect Labour to be significantly ahead. I think that all we can really learn from data at the moment are what the dynamics are at play that require the parties require to do well. And I think that if there's one thing we can say for Labour, they need to they need to keep that youth vote um, motivated and 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 likely to uh, show up on the day because if they don't, they might be in a lot of trouble. On the Conservative side, I think that it's less about the voting intention and more about some of the um, what we often refer to as the internals, so the supplementary questions that you get. Any pollster will tell you now that Jeremy Corbyn's personal ratings are better than Theresa May's. The Conservative Party are divided. Um, there's, there's challenges over their competence. So, you know, the Conservatives really have to get their act together in terms of, um, you know, competence to govern, really. But Labour aren't there, aren't there yet. So we'll be watching those voting intention numbers um, with great interest in the future to see how they change. Will people move towards what Salvation are saying, or are Salvation an outlier? But the key thing I would say is, just because someone's an outlier doesn't make them wrong. That's the one thing that we've um, learned from 2017 and you know, before that too. But anyway, on to the, onto the so-called Irish question. Um, we're going to be talking to Mick Fealty from Slugger O'Toole today. He's been on the podcast uh, a few times and uh, we're delighted to welcome him back. And on this week's show, I spoke to Mick about what was going on with the DUP, what's going on south of the border as well. But first of all, I started off by asking Mick, where do we stand now? Well, we're not really sure. Uh, the only clear thing that we've got right now is that the European Union seemed prepared to extend um, talks and negotiations on to Sunday. So uh, although there's been a lot of speculation that Theresa May might be about to get on a plane to go to Brussels, I think it's too late for that to happen now on Thursday. It could well happen tomorrow. I would say if you extend the deadline, um, it's more likely to happen at the weekend, possibly kind of late on Saturday. And as negotiations generally go, we've seen from the Good Friday Agreement that every big major piece of negotiation, these things tend to go on into the middle of the night, uh, round the clock if necessary. Although to, to some extent, I, I, the, I'm not sure how much detail really does need to be hammered out. Some of it, it seems to me, is about wording. Um, but then, you know, kind of... In these di diplomatic kind of areas and terms, especially where there's been such um, difficulty around the PR of just how you land a deal on the Irish border, because if, you, if, if it sounds like you're being too favourable to one side, then that creates waves on the other side. Uh, it, it may well be that we, we are up till Saturday or possibly even Sunday before this thing gets to bed. So I guess, the, I guess the big question on everybody's lips is what is it that the DUP actually wants? Because when you take a step back, it, it's a complicated situation where from a Westminster perspective, they're propping up Theresa May's government. Everyone will tell you that they don't want Jeremy Corbyn in Downing Street because of his history with Irish republicanism. Yet on the other hand, well, you know, there's big, big ticket items going on and, and being under discussion around the future of a so-called hard border with the South in the future. Um They've obviously put the kibosh on what was going to be uh, announced a couple of days ago, but what is it that they actually want to get from this, Mick? Well, I, I think there's three three basic elements here. Uh, they want 
uh, as they would put it, they they say they want a uh, the best possible trade deal that Northern Ireland can get through the United Kingdom uh, with the um, the EU27. So that's number one. Number two, they want a frictionless border. Now, people throw cast doubt on this, but actually, their leader Arlene Foster has a constituency that is almost completely, well, it's not completely surrounded, it's surrounded on two significant sides by the Republic. It's very rich farmland, and there are some very wealthy farmers down there, many of whom actually voted Remain. Um, and the way things have been structured in, in agriculture over the last 20 years or so, things have changed quite radically and dramatically in the sense that some of these big farm, big dairy farmers tend to send their milk, say, over the border to Monaghan. Um, and there's been a lot of interpenetration as well, so that there, a lot of southern money now kind of owns some of the big uh, milk plants in, in, in the north. Arlene Foster, is, because of what her constituency is, is extremely aware that any encumbrances on the border will negatively affect her constituents and she will suffer should that happen. We've seen in the, in the Assembly election in March the scandal over RHI she was, her position as party leader, beleaguered as it was was of no help to her in her own backyard so she lost one of her, her running mates um, in, in, in that constituency so unionist voters are not afraid to uh, punish failure uh, and so, and so those are two 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 things. I think the other thing, and this is where, in a sense, she may have, she may well have done the Conservative Party um, a favour. And and I think their their intervention, awkward as it was in terms of um, you know international diplomacy, probably saved Theresa May from coming home with a dead letter agreement. One, in other words, that she could not sell to her own backbenchers. Um, but really what they're looking for is to settle the border in such terms that it still allows Northern Ireland to join with the, United, the rest of the United Kingdom to be able to, to um, set their own trade deals outside the aegis of the European Union. So what, what they're very wary of doing is taking rules from the European Union in such a way that it prevents them from doing what they really want to do, which is to be able to go out and uh, begin um, new trade agreements, with, particularly with the developing world, where they see a rising, a rising market and they want a piece of that action mm. without the European Union's bureaucracy getting in the way of all of that. So those three things are exactly what they want, and it's an exact match with what some of the more reasonable Brexiteers want in, um, in the Conservative Party. What they really don't want is um, a, a situation where they're completely captured and cannot do those trade, trade deals. They also don't want the other extreme, which is WTO rules and, uh, you know, kind of a, an iron curtain coming down between the European Union and, uh, and the UK and Northern Ireland being the frontier zone for that. Mm. That, will, that, will kill, um, that will kill agriculture. It'll kill all sorts of indigenous businesses um, in Northern Ireland, and they really don't want that. And one of the things I wonder with the DUP, and you hear this um, from critics of them, 
you know, are they are they biting off more than they can chew a bit here? Because let's not forget, Northern Ireland voted to remain in the European Union, didn't it? And, I, and there was an, yeah. a poll that I noticed that was published um, on, on your blog on Slugger at all, which um, I think it was the fieldwork was conducted by Ipsos Mori. I think it was designed by Q, QUB um, researchers. But in, in response yeah. to the, sta uh, the statement, people should be prepared to accept border controls between Northern Ireland and Great Britain if this is agreed in the Brexit negotiations between the government and the EU. 49% mm. of people in Northern Ireland agreed, 39% disagreed, uh, and 12% uh, said neither. So, I mean, to what extent do you think they, they, they even they care about public opinion in Northern Ireland on this? I suppose they care about one part of it, do they? Or is that unfair? <laughs> they have well I mean it's a, it's a slightly complicated answer to that one uh, I think you're right to highlight that poll it's a very interesting one it kind of crystallises that remain vote it still is uh, it, it's not particularly conditioning votes for the assembly election or even the Westminster Parliament election um, but it's still there as a strong sentiment now Partly the problem with such polls, and there's another one out today, um, which kind of looks at the whole sort of issue of the Irish border, uh, and it kind of it it gets away with registering that kind of sentiment. But the problem, and the problem, the problem is asking that question as negotiations are going on. The problem with negotiations is. In particular, I think in the age of social media and 24-hour uh, comment and commenting and griping and scandal and all the rest of it, it, it is that that negotiation is in a discreetly locked away space to the extent that the British Prime Minister hasn't even told her cabinet um, what her strategy is, what it is she's looking for. Um, she's kind of been locked away um, and... Nobody, I mean, there's no explanation for the £50 billion, uh, what that's for, um, how it was arrived at, what the expectations might be of the UK government in terms of going forward into the, the critical phase two stage where we're going to be talking about trade. Um, the problem with the poll is the poll is, is a test of where do you want the border? Well, actually, people don't want it disrupting their business going across the border. If, it, if it's a question of it being a disruptive border, then certainly they'd rather have it in the, in, in, in the middle of the Irish Sea. That's a sort of a non-political, non-constitutionally sensitive um, answer to that. And they are in the minority as far as that's concerned, except, as I've outlined at the beginning, their objective out of this, and they may not get it, but and they could be in trouble if they don't get it, is the frictionless border. Because it is, if, if the border becomes a block to trade and to business and um, ends up appending all kinds of significant costs to that, they're, you know, they're, they're sort of in trouble. But asking a question like that when we don't know what terms like special status for Northern Ireland actually means mm. or what it's going to mean once we get through all the negotiations, it's a kind of a... Well, it's telling you what the sentiment is now, but perhaps I would suggest if there is a successful outcome to this and the DUP um, get three out of their um, three objectives, main objectives, I'm not sure that that will constitute something, a, a body of opinion that will be in any way significant going forward. 
their problem will lie is if they screw up on one or more of those those objectives because it's really what people are doing is emotionally saying well i really i i enjoy going to monaghan uh, i need my markets across the border etc cetera, etc cetera, and i need easy access to them and that's you know that, that that's why they get that kind of emotional that, that sort of emotional um emotional response yeah and in I'll... terms of them being a go on no, no i was just going to say i mean um moving on to the Moving on to the Irish side, I mean, it's very rare that Irish TSOCs are sort of famous or household names in, in sort of Westminster, I suppose. But there's been a lot of focus uh, on Leo Varadkar, hasn't there? I mean, what, what, do you think, um, what do you think about his strategy? I mean, some on the conservative right, you know, have, have sort of picked on him as a, a bogeyman, if you like, as you know, holding up Brexit and that sort of thing. And they're saying he's young and inexperienced and, you know, he's kind of biting off more than he can chew, to use that phrase a second time. I mean, what do you think of his strategy, and you know, how is it playing out for him? Well, it's risky. It's very risky. Uh, but again, a bit like the DUP. I mean, the two sides, two sides of the border. Suddenly, people in London who really should have paid more attention to the nature of the DUP beforehand, because as I think um, uh, I heard said one of the uh, New Statesman uh, writers said Stephen the other Bush, day. You know that actually uh, the DUP have almost been in this position several times before. Um, it, it, it's a different matter for the Taoiseach, but the Taoiseach's only been in office for since the summertime, so it kind of tells you just how significant all of this is. But he is a risk taker. We've seen that. We saw a weekend before last he lost his deputy prime minister because he kind of brazened it out with the leader of the opposition, you know, Martin. And on that occasion, kind of lost his bets on his own, uh, 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 tarnished as they call it. Um, so he is a bit of a risk taker. I think he's put probably, possibly too many eggs in the Barnier basket. Uh, Barnier, of course, uh, is very well trusted by not just Fianna Gael, but most of the par- parliamentary parties in, in, in Doyle Aaron. Um, so he's not out on a limb there. Where I think... Um, where I think he's introduced risk into this is the rhetoric that he's been using and the kind of high wire act. It's going down very well for him domestically for now. Um, well, I was just going to, I was just going to jump in there. Yeah. There's a poll out from Ipsos Murray um, today, isn't there? 11, he's got an 11 point lead now and uh, approval rating up to 53%. So, um, you know, yeah, public opinions full square behind him, but that can be a, a more fickle beast. I mean, more importantly, Fine Gael are up to 36% in terms of uh, party. Uh, now, uh, and and their main rivals, Fianna Fáil, have gone down 4%. That is the widest gap. It's an 11-point lead, and it is the widest gap in any uh, Irish Times poll since 2015. And that's significant because the polls in the Republic have been absolutely calm, dead still, with both parties roughly within 3 or 4% of each other. Usually Fine Gael just ahead with incumbency advantage. But this high-flying rhetoric of his does seem to be paying dividends. Now, one thing I would say here um, is that, that, you know, the Sun's famous or infamous um, editorial uh, a week or two back saying that it was for fear of Sinn Féin. I think that's, that's a misreading of what's going on there. Actually, 
their biggest rivals are Fianna Foyle, and, it, and Fianna Foyle in losing four percentage points from 29 down to 25, that suggests they're the biggest they're the biggest kind of victims in in, in this particular passage of play. Um, so, and if you look at the Sinn Féin figure, it's 19%. It was 19% in October as well. So the Sinn Féin, the Sinn Féin is not featuring in any of this stuff at all. It's a, two, it's a two-headed fight between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. Um, so he has calculated, uh, and it would, look, uh, it, it would look, in the short term at least, that the, the calculation is working for him. The problem may now be that we get into a set of situations where Europe says, actually, to save this deal, Leo, you're going to have to pull back a little bit on this. Mm. EU have moved on to, uh, to to Sunday, but if Leo sticks to his guns, what we may see is this whole thing having to uh, rack on until January or February, which leaves very, very, very little time to talk about trade. Let's, um... And in that case, that case... Uh, you know, he's basically there. There are huge risks to what huge risks to what he's he's actually done and engineered here. Not mm. least, you know, unleashing that chaos in London after. You you, me- you mentioned uh, Sinn Fein there. I wanted to come back to them um, on on nineteen percent. Um, that might surprise people that don't follow Irish politics very closely. That they're I don't know if that high maybe. Um, often seen as a, a, a fringe party of sorts in, in the UK anyway. Yeah. Um, but what, what do you think about their situation? Because I suppose they're not in the Assembly in the North, um, but then there are many people that have always seen the Brexit vote as a potential precursor to a, a, a future united Ireland. I mean, do, 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 you, do you think that Sinn Féin will be feeling optimistic about their end goal there and i mean and and also what is public opinion in ireland on on, on reunification i mean we talk we we often talk about that through the prism of the north and, and whether northern irish people would want to reunite with the south but we often don't talk about it the other way around yeah no it's it's a, it's a good question i mean look most of the most of the residual polls that take opinions in the republic say most people are in favor of united ireland but when you break it down to, do you want one now or do you want one, say, in 20 years' time? You know, in other words, not when I have to pay for it, um, but maybe my children or my grandchildren might have to pay for it. Then you see a pragmatism kind of kicking in. So the, the, when they're given that kind of choice, people in the Republic will go, well, of course I'm in favour of the United Ireland. It's written into the constitution of the country. Uh, it's part of the whole raison d'etre of the country since independence in the 1920s. Why wouldn't I want the United Ireland? But, but very often, they don't want it now. They're not ready for it. And uh, when you look at the 10 billion subvention that goes into into Northern Ireland, that's one of the that's one of the inhibitors in terms of enthusiastic engagement, even with the question. So you know, one of the one of the problems that Sinn Féin has had in the Republic is getting anybody who votes for them remotely interested in the Irish constitutional issue. They mostly draw their votes from. I mean, there's some hardcore Republican areas in Donegal, uh, in the northwest, up near Northern Ireland, and then there's another area down in North Kerry, around Tralee, which again was traditionally very, very Republican. Um, in those areas, there tends to be a hardcore of people who still believe in an Ireland once again, or a nation once again, all united. But most of the people that vote for them are in kind of hardcore working class areas of Dublin and Cork. And those people, 
it sounds very, very difficult to get that constitutional issue in underneath. And I think for these pragmatic reasons, most people don't believe it's going to happen. If you look at the North, however, um, they have actually, under the aegis of their uh, European group, they've commissioned a, a poll today in Northern Ireland uh, done by um, Lucid Talk. And again, if you look on Slugger, you'll see, you'll see, the, you'll see the figures there. And they've asked again a slightly complicated question. I don't. I don't think it, 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 it's if um, all respondents remain in the European Union by joining the Irish Republic and the United Ireland, 47.9% re, uh, leave the European Union by staying in the United Kingdom, 45.4%. So, in, in on, with that codicil, uh, it kind of creates a far higher figure than you're seeing in the pure question of. Well, do you want to do you want to leave the United Kingdom and go into the European Union, or sorry, into the, into the Republic? By putting it into the question of do you want to stay in the European Union, it, it, it's it, it's kind of a slightly crafty way of framing it. So you're basically saying to avoid that problem, would you like to go and do this other thing? Yeah. Um, so there's a kind of a, there's, there's a kind of an articulation and well, question there. As regular listeners to this show will know, I mean it's all it's all about question wording in terms of the data you get out. I do wonder whether if there was a border poll, maybe under a Corbyn Labour government, let's say, I'm not sure it'd be yeah. quite seen in that context. But it, the campaign, I mean, um, let's see. Let's... So uh, uh, I mean, uh, let me just finish that point. Yeah, go on. I, I think if you go to the more pure uh, pure ones, I think that one of the highest ratings I've seen anywhere is 21% for United Ireland. I think, and this is, this is in the North, not the Republic, there's a real, there's, a, there's, a, there's, there's the same kind of um, Overton's window issue around that the people actually believe it's possible. That kind of, that kind of flattens it as well. But there's also the status quo, and, it, and it's a far more problematic um, issue than it was in Scotland, because it's mixed up with tribalism. There's fears of uh, where are you to get 50% plus one? Uh, what would happen to the other side? You know, wh- it, what, what would loyalists do? What, would it kick off the troubles again? There's a whole bunch of um, things there, but also the amount of economic disruption involved with trying to transform different kind of systems and that 10 billion pounds, what happens to that 10 billion pounds? Um, so there's a whole bunch of inhibitors around that, that, that when you ask the pure question, you get nearly um, half of the figure that um, Lucid Talk have produced, uh, uh, produced this morning. It's a fascinating question because I think um, the, the more and more likely uh, a Corbyn Labour government in, in Westminster looks, and it, you know, it looks a lot more likely now than it did when we last spoke, um, yeah. you, know, you can imagine this question being put to him and him being quite open to a poll. So... We'll have to wait and see. I, I, I'm still a little bit sceptical about the, num- the high number you had, just because surely when the campaign itself came around, if, if there was a referendum on that, it would be very much a, you know, all unionist vote, no, but um, or, or yes, or to staying in the UK, you know, against the United Ireland, basically. But I guess we'd have to wait yeah. and see um, what, what Brexit actually um, produces. Just fi- final word on, on, on the DUP. We started off talking about them, so let's, let's finish yeah. with them. Um, it's often floated that they might bring Theresa May's government down over this question of the border and I'm not saying necessarily this week um but you know that that was that would be quite an astonishing turn of events for them to you know do do action that leads to a Corbyn Labour government do you think that's really possible that when it comes to it in a vote of no confidence they would vote against the Tory government 
It depends. I'd say it's possible, but not probable. Uh, and, and I'd say it's not probable for, for a number of reasons. One, uh, you know, as soon as you've used your threat, you're finished. You know, it's like the deterrence is gone. Um, uh, you know, you shoot that, shoot that bolt. And as you say, one possibly likely outcome is that Jeremy Corbyn is in. There are no deals available there. Uh, if it's tight enough, um, and there, there needs to be a kind of a third party putting the gap to pull this through. You'd be looking at the SNP, uh, with, with which the uh, the DUP don't look. I mean, they don't look favourably. One of the reasons why they took a strong pro-Brexit stance was to make things more difficult for Scotland to become independent. Um, so that you know, you've got Corbyn, you've got um, possibly Nicola Sturgeon. And you've also got the possibility, if the numbers required it, that Jerry Adams might actually say to his MPs, listen, lads, forget about the oath of allegiance. Um, here's an opportunity for us to go in and broker something with the British government over the heads of the DUP. And we will basically go in there and say our demand is a border poll. So uh, that makes it unlikely that they will use the, the, the fact they press the button at, at the very end. But... If they are pushed into a corner and they're forced to take on something that they don't want to, it may be that that is the uh, the final the final kind of uh, pressing of the button and the and you know the whole thing goes up in the air. I doubt that's going to happen. Um, uh, you know, for the for the kind of you know for the reasons stated above. Mm. Um, uh, but we'll see. I mean, I could be completely proven wrong by Sunday. Uh, in which case, people listening to this broad p- podcast will be laughing heartily, uh, <laughs> you know, at this stage of you know, fairly what does he know sort of thing. But oh. as we've seen, uh, we have seen through Brexit, we've seen through Trump, we've seen the volatility of of uh, voters, we have seen the unpredictable the unpredictability of uh, public events, and just see how things really, really escalate uh, incredibly quickly. Well, we've all been proved wrong in the last uh, couple of years, Mick, and uh, I, I don't know, if there's one thing we can be sure of, it's certainly made that that decision for a snap election look like a masterstroke again and again for Theresa May. Uh, Mick Fealty <laughs> from uh, Slugger Hotel, thank, thank you very much for your time. Cheers, Kit. That was Mick Filty from Slugger O'Toole. A big thanks to Mick for joining me on this week's podcast. No doubt he'll be joining us once again in the future. Certainly not an issue that's going away, given that the DUP holds the balance of power in Westminster. But will they really ever bring down Theresa May's government? Hard to imagine it, but then stranger things have happened. We'll be following that story very closely in the future. Now, we're soon we're just about to go, but before we do, I wanted to touch on a new report released by John Curtis and the team at Natsen, which is uh, called Half Time in the Brexit Negotiations, the Voters' Scorecard. I'll post a link on social media um, after the, the podcast is published. But it makes um, for interesting reading um, in terms of what the public think about Brexit now. The latest wave of data um, was the fieldwork was conducted in October 2017, so a month or so ago, but still um, reasonably up to date and, and very interesting. Now, one of the headline findings uh, from, from this report is that people don't think Brexit is going particularly well at all. So when asked um, their views on the likely outcome of Brexit negotiations, would Britain get a good deal, a bad deal or neither? 52% think Britain will get a bad deal. Only 19% think Britain will get a good deal. This is a bit of a change from February 2017, so the beginning of the year, when 37% said bad deal and 33% said good deal. So we were 
reasonably split as a nation at the beginning of the year. Events of the year have uh, turned people uh, into a more negative state of mind. And following on from that, you might, as you might expect, uh, views on how the government is handling Brexit have worsened as well. So 61% in this Natsem report say that um, the government is handling Brexit negotiations badly. That's up from 41% in February at the beginning of the year. So you know, it's, it's substantial changes there in uh, perceptions on how the government has, um, has done. And um, you know, not all of them are very good. But one of the particular um, data data points that caught my eye was um, about perceptions of what what the impact of Brexit would be on the economy. Now we should caveat this with the fact that we know the economy wasn't the be all and end all in, in motivating people to vote leave. In fact, issues of sovereignty and immigration in particular were 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 very important and probably more important too. But nevertheless, I do think it's important if there is data showing that people think Brexit is going to have a more negative in, in, uh, impact on the economy than they once did. And that is uh, that is what this data seems to suggest. In June 2016, when the referendum itself uh, took place, 29% thought the economy would be better off as a result of Brexit. 39% said we'd be worse off. So again, uh, more proof there that it wasn't all about economic performance, the Brexit vote. But now things have shifted slightly. So 25% think the economy will be better off as a result of Brexit versus 52%, a majority, that think it will be worse off. So if you're going to take a net score there, um, net better off, worse off, it was minus 10 when the Brexit vote happened, and it was minus 27 now. And it's been steadily declining ever since um, ever since the result, maybe as an impact of uh, perceptions on um, you know, how, how, how the Brexit negotiations are going. It will be interesting to see if that pessimism um, about the economy and Brexit leads to uh, sort of shifts in attitudes towards uh, Brexit itself. I'm not convinced that that will necessarily happen um, in terms of, sort of not leaving after all, but nevertheless, that can have some profound political implications uh, if, if public opinion does does significantly shift. On the issue of, of, of how, how you would vote in a second referendum, um, people were asked, if you were given the chance to vote again, how would you vote? To remain a member of the European Union, to leave the European Union, or would you not vote? Now, on face value, this, this survey is, is very, very controversial because it suggests that 53% would vote remain and 47% would vote leave. So, you know, a decisive win for remain. But having said that, that has not changed since September 2016 when it was exactly the same. 53% said remain, 47% said leave. So... Despite all the things that have happened, despite all the sort of negative perceptions around how Brexit's going, um, no great substantial shift in terms of um, changing people's minds on the way they voted. And I think that is the key way to see Brexit, really. Until a substantial number of Leave voters change their mind and think they made a mistake, or maybe think they were conned or something like that, we're not likely to see a real clamouring for um, another referendum and uh, a reversal of the decision that was made in 2016. Now, what we might see, in my humble opinion, is a, a sort of shift towards a softer Brexit, you know, the so-called Norway model, to use that shorthand. We don't know for sure, but I think it's more likely, if public opinion does shift, that it shifts away from the so-called hard Brexit to the so-called soft Brexit, rather than against Brexit altogether. But I could be proved um, horrifically wrong. It's been known to happen. But anyway, that's all we've got time for for this week's uh, politicalbetting.com Polling Matters podcast. If you like what you hear, please do share us on social media. It does help get our name out there. And if you really like what you hear, give us a positive rating on iTunes or your podcast app and uh, tell a friend. 
we always we're still growing our audience even now and we still get new people saying that they like the show and we very much appreciate it but for now thanks for listening and stay tuned for more episodes in the coming weeks <laughs>